0: Welcome to chapter seven of Only Half the Story podcast. This is where we interview the most passionate of the passionate people who are in the pursuit of achieving their goals and dreams. On today's episode is with my brother, no, my actual brother, Greg Haft. Yes, he is a man on a journey. He just spent the past year living in Israel and he's back in America for a quick three weeks and it was an honor to get him on the podcast so without further or do this is only half the story podcast my name is andrew haft and let chapter seven begin And we're on. Greg Haft. Welcome to the show. Shalom. Shalom. Welcome back. Welcome to America. It's a pleasure (laughs) to have you here. I must say, you've been a requested guest. So Fascinating. Fascinating. That is, yeah, it is fascinating. And I think so many people are really interested to hear what's going on between your noggin and let's uh, let's kick it off. Why don't you, uh, for those, I obviously know who you are, but I'm sure there's some people who may not know who you are, why don't you just give everybody a high-level intro of, of who you are, what you're all about, and uh, let's kick it off.
1: All right, uh, yeah, so um, they call me Greg Haft. Sometimes I go by the name of Darshan, and... Uh, <laughs> I uh, just got back from living in Jerusalem for 11 months It was uh, quite a life-changing experience Um, Fresh off the airplane, went right from Jerusalem straight to San Francisco to visit the one and only brother And we got a lot lined up for these three weeks before I head back for a second year in Jerusalem And uh, life's pretty good, man. I have nothing to complain about. Thank God
0: Well, great to hear. Great to hear. So you spent a year in Jerusalem, and I really want to dive into that. What made you want to go to Jerusalem? Let's let's backtrack a little
1: bit. Where did this whole religious journey start? It's a good question, and um, there are many ways to answer that question. Talk about childhood. I can talk about growing up. I yeah. can talk about you know high school, college, grad school. But I think it's best. For the sake of this interview to really talk about uh, maybe grad school moving forward. Okay. Um, So I'm in grad school and I'm studying public health policy and administration at uh, Arizona State University. And I'm really into it. You know, at this point I'm putting, I've always been the type of person when I I do things, I do it 100% or I don't do it at all. So I'm going in pretty hard into school as I always have. Not always, but, you know, in, in more recent times going very hard into school. And I really became fascinated on, you know, how do you make the world a better place? There seems to be a lot of issues going on today. Everyone's complaining about something. There's a massive election coming up. And I'm really kind of like fascinated to the point, like, you know, how can I, Greg Half, do something to make a difference in this world? So I picked a major in grad school that I thought was the best way to do so, studying public health policy, And I'm really diving into it. And one of the pressing themes that continuously continue to come up was the concept of community. And I learned, and I really, I think I saw this firsthand, that if you want to make a difference, I think the best way to start is to look right in the mirror. First thing you got to do is you got to look in the mirror. If you want to change the world, you got to look in the mirror. So I started looking into the mirror. I was thinking about, like, who am I? How can I, and then you know, after you look into yourself, I think the next step is to look into your backyard. How can I change my backyard? Who am I, Greg Haft? Where do I live? Who is my community? And how can I make a difference? So I started thinking local, acting local. And the more I started to really, you know, think about this issue, and philosophize, ponder, journal, Snapchat, you could say. <laughs> Uh, uh, I, I thought, like you know, I need to figure out who's my community. What community am I here to serve? Why am I on this earth, and what community am I here to serve to make a difference? And I was like, uh-huh. who is my computer? Who is my community? You know, like who am I? Like I'm a wrestler, someone who cares about school, occasionally like the party, some friends. Like you know, wh- who's my community? And like the more I really started journaling about these issues. As I continue to remove layer after layer after layer and like changing the the thought pattern from like things that I like to do To who am I as more as I continue to I guess peel the onion the core of the onion was I'm a Jew And I wanted to figure out what that meant because I didn't never really thought about that So at the core of the essence if you remove all the fluff all the barrier all the stars all the whatever it is There the core of who I am is a Jew and I wanted to figure out what that meant And since I'm the type of guy who does things 100 or not at all, I was like, you know what? Mom, dad, moving to Jerusalem. I'm going to figure this out. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, that was was 11 months ago. And I I just finished up year number one. And there's a lot going on there.
0: So what is going on in Jerusalem? How is life over there compared to life over here? You, you, you touched on the idea of looking into yourself before you can make any drastic change in the world. Because I think the, the cliche saying, if you want to change the world, you have to change your...
1: I don't know, that's so cliche, I just thought of it right there.
0: I, I, no, but it's a quote. It's like a song or a lyric in a
1: song. I'm not sure. If you want to change the world, change... I, I don't know, there's a lot of cliche bumper stickers out there. you know You could say, change the world, smile. Change the world, be kind. I didn't really find truth in that. And I thought if you got to change the world, you got to change yourself first. All right. So so before you dive into life in Jerusalem, what did you do personally to change yourself? Uh, I figured out, uh, you know, what does it mean to change yourself? Who am I as a person? What does that mean to, uh, you know, become a better person? What does it to mean to become the best version of myself? And I think that's a journey that a lot of people, especially post-college, when there's no longer any structure out there laid out for you, you're on this journey to figure out Who is the best version of myself? What exactly does that mean? Is, and and I see this very often. Like people think that the best version of themselves maybe is like, you know what? I'm going to be the best version of myself. I'm going to be the best yoga person ever. Or I'm going to be the best version of myself. I'm going to be the strongest, smartest, most talented person out there. And I didn't really find that to be the case. I saw the truth in being the the best version of yourself was to really look into like, Peel out separating things from who, what you do versus who you are. And for me, it's being a Jew. For other people, I think it's looking into your own heritage. And that's something that I've become pretty passionate about. Because I think like if I could say something I'm passionate about, I know this is like finding your passion in podcasts featuring Andrew Half, only half of the story. Uh, I think you should look into your heritage. I think that's something like people often overlook these days.
0: Yeah, because we were raised Jewish, we had a bar mitzvah, Uchaim. Uchaim. it was awesome, and then since then, especially for me, I kind of checked out of the religion, I, I, I don't practice faith, I don't read the Torah like you do, what about that, you know, after diving into that specific subject, especially as a religious human being now, you know, where, where do you find satisfaction
1: out of that? Uh, I mean, I think just like the Torah is, is the history of the Jewish people and just figuring out where we come from, like we've been around for 4,000 years and to really figure out where we've come from, I think you have a better idea of where you want to go. Interesting. And in Jerusalem, it, it's just Jerusalem the birthplace of the Jewish people. Okay. So, so what the temples were, that's the spiritual capital of the Jewish people. And that's where I wanted to go closest to the source. Closest to the source. So
0: describe what life is like in Jerusalem. What's what's an average day for for Gershon Haft in Jerusalem? <laughs> Gershon Haft. Uh, that's, yeah, that's weird for me and, to tell you that. <laughs> uh,
1: you can call me Greg.
0: Obviously, I am gonna call you Greg. What's life like in Jerusalem for Greg Haft?
1: Okay. Um, well, in comparison to like, in comparison here...
0: to the secular world here in America.
1: Okay. okay. Um, so it's it's a full day. We're talking fourteen hours, and it's I am a, a full time student there. Uh, I also have three jobs out there. So it's also a balance of finding, you know, the work, study, life balance. But my primary focus there is uh, to be a student. And I wake up 5.30, 5.45 sometimes if I hit the snooze button. And uh, <laughs> I go to this, uh, it's the, first, the first move of the day is I go to uh, the mikvah, which is like a spiritual bath. It's essentially like an ice cold tub of water. That's the first move of the day. Uh, and then after that, is that a, like a
0: tradition there? Is that what everybody does or is that just how you start your day out there?
1: Most people out there doing it. Okay. It's, it's probably more of a religious thing, but it's pretty common. What,
0: What about that is religious? Because I do that every morning as well. But I just don't tie it to religion. I just take a cold shower. It's like it's a, a great way to start your day. It's a
1: great way to start your day. It just wakes you up. That's really the whole purpose. And it's like just like a spiritual cleansing type of process. If you really like, like I guess it's all matter of like what you think about when you're going into this spiritual uh, mikvah. Okay, can you can you elaborate on on how it is religious though? Like, what about
0: taking a cold shower ties to? No, it's thing? not a
1: cold shower. We're talking like a natural flowing body of water into a hot tub in the ground and it has to be certain dimensions and the water has to come from a specific place and it's it's set up a specific way but the the intent that you have is it, is like you're like every single time that you're dunking into the mikvah and i think other religions do this too it's like you're like re-purifying yourself for the day it's like it's a new day it's a new chance it's a fresh fire new, new day of opportunities interesting yeah. all right so you take your cold you take your cold plunge yeah then what Then I'm coming back to uh, the yeshiva, which is the school I study at. It's called Mayanot Institute of Jewish Studies. And I have some some food, you know, then I have some food. And then I go to the first class of the day. It's this class called Chassidus. And then after Chassidus, we have a prayer service, which takes around an hour. Then after prayer, we have breakfast. Then after breakfast, we learn the Talmud, which is Jewish law. And then that takes up the whole morning, and then we have lunch, and we pray again, and then there's a Jewish philosophy class, then there's a halacha class, and then there's Hebrew class, and uh, that's 12 hours of the day, and then the other two hours, is, there's 14 hours, is uh, the study hall, which is like time for review. Really? Yeah. And, and who else
0: are taking these classes with you? Just
1: other Jews around the world? What's, what's the demographic of your, your school? Yeah, so I the school is, there's 70 guys, ages 18 to 35, sometimes older, coming from all over the world. I mean, it's an English-speaking school, so it's primarily guys coming from the States, Canada, South Africa, Australia, UK, and then there's always a bunch of people in between there, um, Peru, Hong Kong anywhere really in the world, all coming to uh, Jerusalem. Wow. That's awesome. So, you,
0: so you've really had the opportunity to meet other Jews from around the globe. What
1: is the... Cat- and the coolest part is, like, they're all on a very similar journey. As yeah. What, doing, what
0: yeah. is the catalyst for your fellow students to take a similar path that you are? Like, I know you know how you got to where you are today being in Jerusalem. Have you found similarities with the other students that you study with?
1: Yeah, I think it's pretty safe to say that if you're there, you've probably had a, uh, an interesting life. You, you've uh, you're literally looking for uh, the uh, the ichor, the the really depth of like what what life is all about. It's definitely some spiritual people there. Can you describe what it's like to live as a spiritual person? It feels healthy, you know. I think if we're gonna tie it back to uh, public health, I think there's like the health triangle. What is it? Mental health, physical health, spiritual health, psychological health. That's four. Sometimes it's a triangle. Sometimes it's a rectangle. And uh, I think it's a diamond. It's a diamond. Yeah. There it is. I studied hard. It's a diamond. And uh, I think I was focusing a lot on the physical health, the mental health, the psychological, and I, I never really took the time to invest in the spiritual. And I, I definitely feel more complete as a person now that I've invested and taken a look into this side of me. Really? Yeah. Yeah, so, so tying the religion aspect to your
0: life... Now how does that want you to influence your community?
1: So tying it back into the community, I think I have a better sense of who I am. And now that I have a better sense of who I am, I feel like I have this responsibility to help my community. Cause I mean, if we're gonna tie it back to the beginning of the podcast, if you wanna change the world, you first gotta change yourself, then you look out the window, then you look into the community, then you look into your state. If you wanna use the American if you wanna use America as an example, your community, state country, society at large. I think you got to like work outwards. So now that I've kind of figured out who I am as a person, what type of lifestyle I want to live, with where I would like to live. Actually, I'm still working on that, but you know, what type of lifestyle I want to live, who I am as a person, what my values are. I feel I feel comfortable going into a community and I'm preparing to lead, preparing to lead the community. How so? Um I don't know whether it be I'm involved with a Jewish community center, whether I'm involved with being a leader, uh, with like setting up Jewish events on the public level, on the private level, um, whether it be helping businesses on this local level, uh, just being focused on myself, my family, and my community at large. But I plan on being in a Jewish uh, area for sure. Okay.
0: Yeah, That 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 was my next question is because... Once you look into the mirror, the next step is to think locally. Yeah. But not every local community is necessarily a primarily Jewish community. So how is that? It doesn't na- have to
1: be, you know, like, uh, re- re- like everyone around you is Jewish. I mean, I, I still see myself at this point living back in the United States. I don't necessarily see myself living in Israel. but yeah. Yeah, there's, I mean, I, I, as much, I also want to help other people. But I think if in order for me to help other people, I've got to like, make sure my community is strong. Okay. Not just like only. I don't want to like sound tribal. Like, oh, you know, if you are not Jewish, I don't want to help you. But I think if like if a strong Jewish community is united, we can help other people.
0: Okay, okay. So, what do you want to do to help
1: people? Can you give an example? Uh, I think in today's society there is a lack of public discourse per se, and I think by focusing on things that we have in common and really focusing on ways to unite each other, I think you can create a platform a community for people to talk to have events to celebrate milestones I mean in the Jewish world whether that be someone's bris whether that be someone's bar mitzvah bat mitzvah wedding everything in between grandparents birthday your birthday your uncle's birthday whatever it is I think getting a community involved and really having a larger network I think that will help the individual strive and become better people
0: I could see that. Yeah, for sure. Because you you mentioned this earlier today and it was something that stuck out. And you said how there's a lot of issues in, in local communities just because no one speaks to each other. So if you can bridge the gap and really tie things together and making sure that everybody has a neighbor by their side that supports them, and not necessarily is a a keeping up with the Jonas's type relationship, it's really going to make an impact at the local level, which which will then snowball into the greater community, the state, and then society at large. Yeah. I like that. You know, these are things that I don't typically think about. I like to think how I myself can make an impact in the world, but... I think at large, the more people that you have on board that share similar values, you know the greater impact. I mean and not to say that
1: that's not important. I think the individualism is still important, but it needs to be directed in a way of like, all right, if you're a businessman, what can you do on your individual level, you know whether that be you're in business, whether that be you're a teacher, whether that be you're uh, like a, you know a social worker, whether whatever you're a nurse, a doctor, a lawyer, a chef, whatever that is. How can you use your unique talent that only you can do to, one, help yourself, and then two, help your community?
0: Yeah. Okay. I'm picking up what you're putting down. <laughs> <laughs> uh, one thing I wanted to ask you about is your concept and, and principle of discipline, because okay. you're you're all in. I mean, I'm looking at you right now. You've got the frothiest beard I've ever seen in my entire life. You're wearing a yarmulke. You're,
1: you're, you got a Torah next to you. I'm myself in the right mindset. I'm nervous for this interview, bro. You're, you're a big guy. Half of the po- half to, only half of the story podcast. I'm a little nervous. This guy's maybe grew up next door, next bedroom over, but he's a big deal now.
0: <laughs> let's not let's not get it that far. But I'm curious because you're very disciplined to what you're passionate about. How do you stay disciplined on what you do and how you live your life? And and limit the distractions that don't necessarily agree with the values of of a Jewish person.
1: I mean, I think we were kind of raised with these values. Uh, We grew up with a father who was, you know, to the T, on his discipline. You know, we're talking never missing a workout. We're talking no junk food. We're talking (laughs) getting stuff done when it needs to get done. We're giving a big shout out to my father, who I really look up to my mother as well uh i think we were kind of raised with those values of discipline uh and i think that started at a very young age for us in wrestling we wrestled from when we were very young i know we have pictures of us wrestling like in like when we were like 5 years old we've wrestled in every square meter square inch of the entire house and uh we learned discipline from wrestling and i think i've just been able to carry that 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 uh skill set i guess you could say or that mentality into uh other things that i've done in school in life so i know after wrestling it was school so after school now it's then it was it did some stuff in politics for a little and after politics now it's been this religious life and now that I've, i think i've come full circle i'm ready for the world ready
0: for the world so tying it back to just staying disciplined obviously i felt like it was incorporated in their blood it was what we saw day in day out just purely because of our parents but if you can share any sort of advice for anybody who may be lacking in a sense of discipline to stay focused on what they need to do when it needs to get done in order to execute on their
1: passions what would you say (sighs) discipline advice i think you gotta have um a goal you know i think a lot of people they kind of are moving a lot They're, you know, maybe they have like a set routine and but they don't really know what direction they're going in. And I think you need to have a really set goal. And when you have an idea of exactly what you want to accomplish, what type of life you want to live, what you're up doing every single day at a certain time, where are you going, what direction you're going to, the rest kind of falls into place. And when you're so fixated on what you want to accomplish in this world, you it, the rest is kind of reverse engineering. So it's like, okay, I want to be, I'm gonna use an example. You know, I want to be a homeowner. What is it gonna to take to accomplish that? What kind of job do I need to have? How many hours do I need to be working? What type of skills do I have, need to have? And if that's my number one priority, the rest of the stuff doesn't really become relevant. You know, if your priority, if your, if your values, if your goal is to, you know, get a promotion in your job, to succeed in the workplace if that's the number one thing you need to write down reverse engineering okay this is what i want how am i going to accomplish it what is important what's not important um i know something that you have in, in your in your home that i really admire is you have on your mirror it says win what's important
0: now i want to give credit to the one and only julian samuels to that <laughs> canvas
1: washington paper makers <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, absolutely. So if you if you have an idea of what you want to accomplish, and you really think about what is important right now, it's a, just a matter of reverse engineering and uh, kind of trimming or limiting the other stuff that's not necessary. But if you're just you know wanderinglessly, if you're wandering aimlessly, have no direction, you got a first thing you got to do is write down what you want to do, because otherwise you're going to continue to wander aimlessly, and you're not going to see progress.
0: Definitely,
1: I think that's it's valuable
0: advice that anybody can can really relate on so thank you for that what is you, you touched on this a little bit but what is the future for greg half look like
1: yeah so th- i'll give you in three bullet points to simplify we're talking jew number one and that's something that i'm still figuring out i want to figure out what does it mean to be a jew so i'm going back for a second year i know that for me That entails, you know, becoming a little bit more fluent in uh, the Torah, becoming a little bit more fluent in the Gemara. I want to be fluent in Hebrew. I think that's a skill that I really want to pick up on for many aspects, whether it be education of my future children. uh, Also in business aspects, I really admire the country, the state of Israel. So I want to be able to go back and forth at points in my life and know the language, know the culture, really feel connected. So that's my number one priority right now. Uh, My second priority is one day I would like to go back to being a small business owner. And uh, that's something that I picked up in college when I had that that business.
0: Move it or lose it. Can we touch on that? Can you share your experience with move it or lose it? Because I thought... I thought that was the coolest thing ever, and I'm honestly disappointed that you stopped Move It or Lose It because it was, it was awesome to be a part of it from a distant view, and I, I honestly saw it only through social media and maybe worked with you a few times during that experience, but can you share how you started Move It or Lose It and, and kind of how it got to where it was? Because it got pretty big at the University of Arizona.
1: It got pretty, yeah, I was really good. Uh, I was lucky, thank God. Um, move it or lose it. You know, I picked up move it or lose it when I started to realize that I did not want to become a physician. Uh, I was going a hundred percent into becoming a doctor doing, doing the reverse engineering only to realize that this is not really the lifestyle that I want to live. But there was definitely a problem there because I had just done, you know, three, four years of college working towards a major, working towards a life in which I didn't want to do. So Obviously a big question was coming to my mind, how am I going to make a living? I was so scared. I was like, all right, I got to find a solution. So, I was always interested in business from our parents, from dad, from friends that I've chosen to surround myself with, and I just started reading every business book that I could possibly find because I knew that if I was like going to make a living, I probably should have an understanding of what business is. So, I had a summer off in between semesters. And I read a bunch of books. I was inspired. Uh, there was a few books that really stuck out Think and grow rich by Napoleon Hill It was probably the number one and you know, I just like, you know what what can I do to make money based on the things that I already have? Had a pickup truck. I had known throughout summer after summer that everyone is always calling me in the summer to help them move And I was like, you know what? I don't know how I came up with this I really want to like reread my diaries Uh, but I I somehow came up with the name move it or lose it and it just started uh, very local in the streets of Tucson Uh, and it started on my snapchat account and just me helping people out saying move it or lose it and uh, I would come up with different scenarios and it just kind of spread via word of mouth At first, and then as it started to get bigger, as the summer progressed, I started taking advantage of uh, social media marketing, uh, whether it be on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, whatever it was, I just was promoting it local. I used Post-its, like, you know, signs on the mall, on campus. Student moving service, $30 per hour per mover. Call now. Not now. Right now. You know? (laughs) Uh, And it, it picked up some steam, you know? I had six employees at one point some great guys out there, and we, we, we took off. I had the business for half a year.
0: Any, any specific challenges that you recall that, that really qualified as deep learning lessons throughout that experience?
1: Yeah, when you are the CEO, everything is on you. The wins, the losses, the in-between, the phone calls, the complaints, that takes a lot of heat. Making sure your employees are happy That's a big responsibility that I think every uh, business owner has The responsibility to do, make sure that they're paid right. I mean, I had guys working for me in 100-something degrees in Tucson, Arizona. So making sure that they are hydrated, safe, that was an issue, and just happy overall, making sure the customer was happy, making sure my employees were happy, and making sure that I was still having a good time. Um, which I think the, one of the, like, the lessons that really helped, like inspired me to do other stuff was I, you know, I had this business and I was really trying to file the LLC and take it to the next level. But a challenge that I noticed, which I never really thought about was the, the issue of bureaucracy at the local level and dealing with all the unions, the moving services that I would have been required to do by the government, the safety regulations. And after meeting with a few lawyers, I really came to to the realization that starting a business is a little bit more difficult than I had thought. And maybe, especially where I am in life, now is not the best time. So that was a lesson that I learned. Um, But I think when the time is right and I am really ready to take it seriously, Bezorah Hashem, with the help of God, it's gonna be awesome. All right. Well, thank you for sharing that. I think any entrepreneur
0: could really learn from the advice that you just shared. I'm really curious, though, because in the in, in the response that you just shared, you mentioned that you wanted to not become a physician anymore, which I think is really interesting because in the stereotypical Jewish realm, the Jewish upbringing, it's very typical to graduate high school as an honor roll student. Go to some real prestigious school, get a real prestigious job, whether it is becoming a physician, a doctor, a lawyer, or, or a business owner per se. What made you not want to work in healthcare as a, as a practitioner anymore? <clears throat> yes,
1: yeah, so that's a good question. When you're given it your all and you realize that you're not happy, you realize that something's missing, you're really hesitant to move forward. And when you're working, you know, 14-hour days, whether it be in the library all day, studying these rigorous chemistry, anatomy, physiology, biochemistry classes, and you're really not enjoying it. And then on your free time, you're shadowing doctors, physicians, physician assistants, and you're really just not really connecting. You really start to question if this is what I'm here to do. Is this my purpose? And I didn't think that this was it. And the more I got an exposure of what the physician is doing and not to not to take credit away from what the physicians are doing. I think they are huge as they are key members of society. They do an amazing job. Some of these doctors, nurses across the spectrum are doing amazing work out there and God bless them. It was more of a matter was, this is a big commitment. This is not what is going to make me happy. I can't move forward. And that was a very tough decision. And it took a lot of guts. To turn away, to to move, to put the brakes on, on this, because I easily could have gone forward and lived a life that was not necessarily satisfying for me.
0: Definitely. So, so when you stopped wanting to become a physician, the opportunity cost of not making money simultaneously is,
1: is something that haunted you. It was something that wasn't necessarily ideal. For sure. I mean, we grew up with parents working all the time. I wasn't gonna. You know, I, I saw what hard work was, and I wasn't gonna. You know, just drop out, you know, change my path and not worry about, you know, how am I going to make a living? That was still something that remained a priority for me. It just was a matter of this is not the type of living that I want to make. This is not the type of life that I want to have. So it was a matter of shifting into something that I found to be more interesting and that really more resonated with me. Okay. And uh, also, you're to follow up on, on the other question you talked about, you know, the typical American Jewish home and how, you know, the the life, the life is set out, it's like you're going to go to school, on roll, you're going to get into the best college ever, you're going to get a prestigious job. Uh, it's a relatively new concept, and I think this past year after studying Jewish history, it's something that is really unique to American Judaism, specifically in the post-Holocaust era, where American Judaism is pretty broken as a whole. When you say that, you know, we didn't have this upbringing, that's pretty standard across the board for American Judaism, uh, I think that the Holocaust is a very traumatic event for Jewish people as a whole. And I think we're in this period right now of like on the rebounds where because there's a lack of a spiritual connecting type of environment for the Jewish people. I mean, if you look at like synagogue attendance across the board, intermarriage rates throughout the United States, Jewish people in America are not doing too well. You can look at all the Pew, Pew research analysts on it. There's, it's pretty broken. I think that there is a missing part that a Jewish person is looking to fill, and I think it's being misdirected into this career. And I think that if you take a step back and really focus on that health triangle, I think as a whole, you are a better person. And the focus should be, okay, first, what is my spiritual purpose? And then, okay, how, what type of hard skills am I going to get by going to college to be able to succeed in whatever that means? But I think the Jewish people as a whole are really, especially American Jews, are really fixated and fascinated by this idea that the whole purpose in life is to get a job, save up, send your kids to the best college, and then brag about it on Instagram to every single person that you know. Oh, my daughter got into Buck now. What about you? And I think that's creating a lot of tension amongst the Jewish people as a whole. Not just
0: the Jewish people, but I think just about everybody.
1: I can't speak for everyone. I'm not. I, I don't. Can't. I don't know. The, I'm not as familiar with other communities. But I think that's something that I definitely learned this past year. Seeing you know Judaism in South Africa, seeing Judaism in Australia, seeing Judaism in the UK, and then comparing it to the Judaism that me and you know in America. Uh, there's a huge gap.
0: So from what you've learned over in Israel and, and interacting with Jews across the entire globe. What is life for the average Jewish person in South Africa or Australia or Asia?
1: I think that they're not as assimilated. They're very much aware of the fact that they're Jewish and they know how important it is that they are Jewish. They would, they would classify themselves as Jewish South Africans, Jewish Australians, whereas most of Americans, according to Pew Research, would identify as American Jews. And I think that's a, a backwards type of way of looking at things. I can see that.
0: Can you give a, a quick synopsis of what it means to be an Orthodox Jew? Like, what are what are the day to day rules that you follow?
1: Day to day rules? I wouldn't say the necessary rules. It's just like it's just my way of life. What is
0: the the way of life on a day to day basis like?
1: Well, I mean, I think the the most you know, there's a lot. That's a very loaded question, and that could be a whole podcast in itself. Uh, but if you want to talk about rules. If you want to call it rules, I call it life, I keep a kosher diet. And I've learned living in San Francisco, that's, I've seen the, the challenges that presents. So uh, for those not familiar with what kosher diet means, is I don't mix meat and milk. So you won't see your boy ordering a cheeseburger per se. And that creates unique challenges because not only could I not eat a cheeseburger, but it also would require a separate set of dishes and a separate set of silverware, a separate set of cooking. So when it comes to cooking and also where I'm getting the food from, the meat has to come from a, a certain place. It has to, the animal has to be slaughtered in a very certain and humane way. Uh, the cheese also, the dairy has to be supervised. So getting these types of products in a place like San Francisco is for sure a challenge. And over the past week that we've been living together, you could see that. So I guess that is what you consider to be a law I look at it as my way of life, and I think that I become a lot more in touch with who I am as a Jew, as a person, by keeping this diet.
0: Okay, so on top of the diet, what else is part of the, the day-to-day ritual?
1: The day-to-day ritual, uh, I, I, I pray three times a day before I eat. I thank God. After I eat, I thank God. I study Torah. I do mitzvahs. I like to give charity. I think that's about it. So nothing different? Nothing, nothing crazy out there? Just I think the, the looks make it seem like I'm a completely different person but I'm not a pretty pretty normal guy the, the beard I don't I don't shave my beard so if you're gonna judge a person if you're gonna judge a book by its cover you can be like whoa who is this guy but if you actually take a second to sit down with me or any other Orthodox Jew you'll realize that you're pretty similar I could see that
0: so so you and I had a, a real unique experience so well, I guess this is every weekend for you but for me it was a unique experience because I've never done this before we, we, we celebrated Shabbat. Can you let everybody know what it means to, to partake in Shabbat?
1: Well, I think
0: maybe you should answer that to, question. To the fullest extent. Maybe you should answer that question. So, all right, I will, I will. So Shabbat is, you know, Friday at sundown till Saturday at sundown. So a full 24 hours in the way that you described it is just being present. Which I thought was really unique Because I enjoy that Whether or not it's in correlation to an actual holiday It's just being present Being aware with the people that you're surrounded, by, you're surrounding yourself by But in this case It was at a rabbi's house In the local Bay Area community Rabbi Resnick Shout out Rabbi Resnick Great food by the way um, It was at his house With other you know Jews in the neighborhood Who also celebrated the holiday as well And we get there, and immediately we start singing in prayer. And this, for me, was just something completely out of my comfort zone. I've never really done that before, except from when we grew up and had our bar mitzvah. I haven't experienced that since then. Even then, I didn't necessarily relate to it all that much. I felt like it was just something that I had to do, because that's what it was when you grew up in a Jewish neighborhood, predominantly Jewish neighborhood. You know, you go to school, you go to Hebrew school, and you have a bar mitzvah, and you don't really ask twice about it. But... Now at this Shabbat dinner, you're there and they're you know they're par- passing out prayer books and before we eat, we we said a prayer before we washed our hands. We said a prayer before we took a sip of wine. We said a prayer. And it was interesting. I thought it was something that I, it, it was new to me. But, but the part of the, the evening that really stuck out the most was, was the no cell phone policy. Because it forces you to take all distractions away and fully embrace what it's like to be with the other people at, at the dinner table, you know, you're not checking your Instagram, you're not checking your Snapchat, you're fully present at the conversation that's at, that's being held at the dinner table. And I think that's something that's lacking in, in the average society, just because everyone's attached to their phone, but it was just a time where we were forced to put all distractions aside and just be fully present. And then I drove home after dinner, you know, after all the prayers, after the celebration, I drove home. But you stayed there. Not only stayed there, you walked to another rabbi's house to sleep over because on Shabbat, you can't use technology. You can't, you know, there there's certain guidelines that you have to follow. Can you, can you share what that's like?
1: Yeah, so Shabbat is, so, so God created the world in six days and on the seventh day he rested. That's the premise. So on six days of the week, as a Jew, if you want to call it a rule, you're instructed to work. We're talking making a living. We're talking doing the things that you got to do, whether or not you enjoy them. We're talking if you're if you are a father and you have a family, if you're a mother and you have a family, you need to do whatever you are to provide food for your kids. Whether it is to you, know, you need to figure out how you're going to educate your kids. It's the work week. It's sometimes mundane, it's sometimes not fun, you're doing stuff, you're running around, you're checking emails, you're on your phone, you're talking to people you like, you're talking to people you don't like, and then comes the end of the week. Friday, whenever sundown is, everything else stops, you put your phone away, and the whole focus of the next, it's actually 25 hours, is to rest, relax, and talk to the people who are most important in your life. So Shabbat, for me, I think is the most beautiful thing in the world. It's that one day out of the week, where nothing else matters except for Shabbat. So we had that dinner experience. That, for me, was a very special opportunity. I, was, I loved having the chance to share it with you, especially in your hometown. That was a really beautiful thing for me. And, and, and that was that. I mean, we went around the table. We shared what's going on in your lives. Everyone gave an update. We got a chance to meet other people in the community. It gives you a chance, to, sometimes you're really self-absorbed. You get a chance to see what other people are doing so you don't become so obsessed with yourself. Um, you know, We have all these things, iPhone, iMac i this i that it gave you a chance to look outside yourself and see what's going on in your local community which relates back to the beginning of the podcast and it, it's it's an amazing period of 25 hours i mean so you got to experience the highlight the friday night i think that's the best part everyone likes it you go around the table. You eat some good food. You say la chayim. You meet new people. You sing songs. Only good things, and yeah, you thank God at the end. Uh, the next morning, you wake up. You have some good food, and then you're in shul. You read the Torah every single week. We study a new Torah portion, so we read the Torah, and then there's a then there's a brunch, and then comes another favorite part. You take the Shabbat nap. During the week, you usually don't get a chance to nap because you're working so hard. Take a nice nap, you relax, eat some more food, and then Shabbat's over. And then you go back and do it again. So Shabbat is a break in the craziness of life, the madness of the week. It's the timeout button. It's the water break. And for me, at this point, I couldn't imagine life without it. I think it allows you to recharge your batteries and perform at a higher level than you would have been able to if you hadn't taken that
0: time off. Well said. You know, I can only relate to what I do on a day-to-day basis, and I can definitely see how it, it is crazy. I mean, working a job, a, a full-time job in America, it's definitely part of a rap race where, you know, you're getting pulled into so many different directions. You're answering emails, you're taking phone calls, and you don't necessarily want to do all this, but it's just part of the process in order to become successful here in America. And the break part, where you kind of do take that full-time out, is essential, and something that I haven't even realized, because I'm you know like you kind of like you are where i'm i'm all in or not and there's no in between but when i'm all in i'm you know 24/7 7 days a week and kind of disregard the idea of taking a break because if i take a break then i'm not getting ahead and that idea is something that i i struggle with but you know having the opportunity to kind of see how you live on a, on a regular basis now is it was, it was really cool. I enjoyed it. Maybe I'll do it again. Who knows? But um, yeah, I, I want to start concluding the interview and, and start asking you some rapid fire questions if you don't mind. Bring it on. <laughs> it's, 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 I'm bringing it. <laughs> um, you know, you're, you're, you're 25, 26 years old. You've lived, you know, a quarter of your life expecting that you're going to break 100 years. If you have any kind of advice for your younger self, what would that be?
1: Andrew, that's a great question. Advice for my younger self would be to listen more and talk less. I think in your teenage years, you're inclined to think that you know it all, even like in carry over into the, the 20s. I think I would have told myself to listen more and talk less. Sometimes I think I had a big mouth. I think there's a lot to learn, and I think a, maybe a, a, good, a good lesson on humility.
0: I like that, certainly. Next question. Jerusalem and and Israel as a whole is obviously very different than how life is in America. When you first got there and you were getting acclimated to the culture there, can you share any sort of wild or crazy experiences that stick out to you?
1: Another great question. Uh, Wild and crazy experiences that I had living in Jerusalem. I think one of the most humbling experiences I ever had, uh, so three times a year, uh, there's like a mass, I guess you could almost call it a, pil- a pilgrimage, where everyone throughout the state uh, comes to the Kotel, which is the remnants of the second temple that was destroyed 2000, a little over 2,000 years ago, and we're talking a hundred thousand people. You're, you're packed in like sardines, and this happens on uh, Sukkot, Pesach, and Shavuos, where everyone It feels like all of Israel is jammed into the Kotel. And I think the most memorable experience for me was just feeling so tiny, so humbled. Um, I think when you, in in college, I kind of put myself in an environment where I felt like I was the only Jew or one of the only Jews. I I, kind of lost the sense of who I was really. And all of a sudden when you're surrounded by all these other Jews all doing the same thing as you, you feel so tiny. I, it was like the most humbling experience ever, and it was like it, was, it felt really cool to be part of something so much greater than yourself. And I was like, "These are my people," and this is a feeling I never had before in my entire life—to be surrounded by like, "Oh wow, this is some home." These people are just like me. Oh, you're from I'm from Plainview. Oh no way, you're from you're from Huntington. Oh man, I know you. You know, like it just like I just kept on meeting people that had very similar experiences than me, and I, I, was, I felt like for the first time in my life, I felt like I was exactly where i needed to be at the right time with my people that's awesome that's got to be a really great experience yeah
0: and last question you kind of already shared this beforehand but i'm going to ask it anyways how do you want to put your own stamp on the universe if you could just sum that up in a few sentences what would that look like for you
1: stamp on the universe you know, I think if you would have asked me this question a couple of years ago, I would have like said like you know I want to be like this massive CEO and have my name every single where I go. But I think honestly, I just want to be someone who was uh, a good person, and I just want to be someone who was like, a proud member of the community, someone who really did made a strong effort to give back, to give to others, and to have a really beautiful family. And I'm just that's my small part contribution to the world. I love it. Alright, brother Greg Haft. Andrew, Hebra, Achie, as we say in Israel. What does that mean? Achie is my brother.
0: <laughs> my, Gevah, my brother. Alright, well thanks for thanks for being a part of Only Half the Story Podcast. No, it's an honor. And there you have it, chapter seven. Put it in the bank with the one and only Greg Haft. If you're digging the podcast, per usual, give us a like, subscribe, any kind of rating. Honestly, give me your feedback. I'm dying to hear it. Share this with the world, by the way. That'd be kind of cool. My name is Andrew Haft. This is only half the story podcast, and we'll see you next time.